Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. Things you placed on his shoulders, Lord. And uh, Lord, in the midst of all that, uh, we just want to bless him this morning. We pray that as he's with us today, that he would be blessed, that he would know your goodness, your fullness, for all that gives out, Lord God, this morning, would you bless him? In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Paul. Morning, everybody. Right, so you know a little bit more about me now, and you also know to pray for my ever-patient wife, which is also good. I know a little bit about you. Um, I've heard about what God's been doing here for years, but this is my first chance to actually be with you. So I'm really excited to be here. And, and I believe that actually... We are all coming together across the streams because when history looks back, this season is going to be a season where for us who are living in it, we think the church is declining, but I think the historian is going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so often what we see is we see church decline, but actually in the long term of history, we know that worldwide, the Spirit of God is being poured out in an unprecedented way, unprecedented numbers of people coming to faith and also unprecedented persecution as well. And even in this country, which often is a bit of a backwater in what God seems to be doing, what's happening is I believe a new church is emerging from somewhat the wreckage of the old. And uh, I believe that this church and many like it are part of that. We're all part of of something bigger. Of course, we're part of the New Wine Network together. And um, just a couple of things I wanted to highlight. So uh, we wrote a book last year called Greater Things. Jesus said that anybody who believes in him, any one of us, will do the things that he's been doing. In fact, we'll even do greater things than these. And that tells the story of um, what God's done in one part of the renewal, which is through New Wine, over nearly 40 years. In this country. In this country, and also there's a chapter about abroad as well. Uh, and then I wrote a couple of books um, about how to step into the supernatural, spirit-filled life, which, which for me was one of the greatest discoveries. You know, the most important thing was I realized who Jesus was. That changed my life. But actually what changed my ministry was when I realized who I am in Jesus and what it means to be a disciple, what it, what it means to actually be filled with the Spirit and to, to walk with him in doing the things that he was doing. So um, any of those three books is six pounds, and I think Rory's going to have a little table back in the coffee area afterwards. But I wanted to tell you um, some of the things that I've seen God do in the last year, just to encourage our faith this morning. So um, just a few stories. Uh, I was in Denmark, um, this lovely lady called Annetta, I met her there. Um, It was an evening when somebody else was speaking on healing, um, a local Danish speaker, and we were doing ministry at the end, and I thought, well, I want to be where God's at work, so I'll get involved, and went and joined the ministry team, and I'm praying for people, and as I'm praying for people, I see this young boy of about nine or ten come sprinting down the aisle, closely pursued by his mother, who halfway down the aisle grabs him and wrestles him out the side of the tent, with lots of tears, and I see the two of them standing outside, like holding each other and just crying. Now, I've got a couple of kids who um, are on the autistic spectrum, and I thought, my mind immediately thought, he he reminds me a little bit of what my son was like when he was younger. You know, maybe that's what it is, that he's just sprinted for the front, and she's gone running after him, and she's embarrassed. So, So I said to one of the ministry team, I said, look, I'm just praying for someone. Could you go tell her to wait? I'd love to go over and pray with him. Um, and then when I finished praying for the person I was praying for, and I went out, and turns out, of course, it's not him that needs healing at all. It's her. 
He's totally normal, but he's distressed by the fact that his mother is in so much pain every day that she has to lie down for half the day and can't play with him, and she takes all these painkillers. So I went over and offered to pray for him and then got this whole story. And um, so I said, well, look, you know, maybe I should just pray for you anyway. Is that okay? And she said, yeah, yeah, sure. So, so I did what you do. I put my hand on her. I asked Jesus to come. I asked all the pain to go. And I said, you know, how's it feeling? She said, well, I don't really know because I've taken all my medications within a half an hour. And so, it, you know, to be honest, I couldn't tell. Next morning, she comes up with her husband and says, I usually take 50 painkillers a day. I haven't taken any tablets. Um, I feel no pain. I slept last night without having to wake up in the night to take another dose. I thought, praise the Lord. Isn't that good? Yeah. So that was, um, that was in Denmark. And then um, next one. Oh, it's died on me. I'm pressing the wrong button. This is actually in, in England. This was at the New Wine United Summer Conference. This lovely girl called Tracy came up during one of the sessions. And she said, I've got this pain in my arm. I said, okay. Um, and she said, that's unusual because I don't normally feel anything in my arm. I actually fell over and broke my uh, forearm so significantly that they replaced a couple of the bones with plastic and metal. And um, I'm feeling pain, which I shouldn't do because the nerves were cauterized and my arm is fixed. It can't move. So I said, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, the Holy Spirit's at work. Let's just bless what God is doing. And as we blessed what God was doing, we saw um, bubbling, like, a bit like when you put you know, a little bit too much heat into the custard. Just her skin was bubbling. And then she started saying, I've got, I, she didn't say this. I'm, I can't like, give the medical words. She said, I've got, I've got flexion and rotation. And then she was like, oh, I've got sensation. And she started feeling things in there. I don't know if that was a creative miracle, but through the week, she kept on coming up to me. And every time she saw me, she went, like this. And I thought, brilliant, praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Um, one more. So we were, Becky and I were off in India. And um, this guy, this picture actually was sent to me only a week ago. This is, the, this is uh, a man called Roy giving testimony at the turn of the year service about what God had done for him the last year. I've never seen him like that because when I saw him, he was wearing calipers on his legs and being helped to the front by his wife. And as he was prayed for, the power of God came on him. We didn't know the end of the story. You know, so often we pray for people, we don't know the end of the story, and then we hear a little bit later. But how often do we pray for people, we don't know the end of the story, and we don't hear later, but God's done something. So I think we're living in days where these things are becoming more and more common. One more, one more. So um, a few years ago, we took a mission trip to Lapland, um, and uh, we took our discipleship year out there, actually, to Rovaniemi, which is in the Arctic Circle. It's a wonderful place to go. Phil was part of the team. We went to evangelize Father Christmas, which is where he has his headquarters. You can see there's Phil at the top, top right. Um, and we had a great time. Um, Phil was a lot more immature in those days, as you can see. <laughs> so we were... Phil used to work for me in Woodford, and, and we were pleased to pass on a much more mature version to you, King's Church, Amersham. We were devastated when Hannah left. And, uh, but I just want to tell you one story from that, which Phil will remember, because this is a, like a remarkable story. We, we were asked to do a healing service at the end of the week in the Lutheran church. And uh, if you think the Anglicans are uptight, wait until you see the Lutherans. So the, the Lutherans um, off in, uh, where are we, Finland? Finland, yes, that's right. I, which country am I? I'm learning Swedish. It's all very confusing. Um, so th- it's very formal. 
So we're all robed, even Phil. No, no, he wasn't robed. You know, he wasn't robed. Um, but Phil's leading some worship, and then they said, okay, we're going to do prayer ministry during the communion. Um, and the prayer ministry had to be done in the holiest place, which is up about six steps, which is pretty bad news for anybody that needs healing. Um, and there was this poor lady that, that sort of staggered up, up these six steps, because we had to do prayer ministry up here. And um, her name was Danica, and we started um, just asking what happened. And she said, well, I was a teacher, but what happened was a stack of chairs in the classroom toppled over and landed on me and um, broke my hip and my knee, and I've been in constant pain ever since then. I had to retire. And the friend who'd brought her up to help with the, with the English translation was saying, you know, she, this, she really is in constant pain. And you could look at her and think, yeah, this is somebody who suffers. So, you know, we, we said, okay, well, we can, can we pray? Where's the pain particularly? And she said, well, it's in my feet, feet and knees, really. So I, so I you know, knelt down, praying my best prayer. I had one of the DY students with me. She's praying her best prayers. And I'd just pray these prayers, and I'd say to her, how do you feel? Anything happening? No, nothing, nothing. I said, okay, okay, well, you know, let's just pray again. You know, sometimes it takes a bit of time to tap into what God's doing. So we prayed again, nothing, nothing. And after about, we've done about three or four of these. And I said to her, like, I'm very happy. Would you like me to pray again? And she said, no, don't worry. I've come to the conclusion that God doesn't love me as much as he loves other people. And I don't really expect to be healed. I'll just have to bear with this. And inside, something in me went, that's not right. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, well, I'm going to pray again one more time if you'd let me. I'm going to pray something different this time because maybe healing's not the most important thing here. So I just stood up, put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, Lord, would you just show her how much you love her? Show her your love, Lord. And I'm just praying that, and I've got to say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm full of compassion for her, but I'm not really paying attention in the sense that I'm, I'm just really trying to tap into the love of God. So I've got my eyes shut, which you should never do, by the way. You know, always see what God's doing, because she suddenly starts shouting, My feet! My feet! And I'm thinking, oh no, I've broken her. She's been standing here for too long and she's now kind of overwhelmed by the pain of all of this. But she keeps shouting, my feet, my feet. And uh, I look at her and she's kind of doing this. And she said, my feet are absolutely on fire. So I thought, that's interesting. I wasn't praying for that. So, so I just carried on praying. And I said, Lord, thank you for your love. And I just pray, Lord, you do whatever you want to do. And... She, she sort of says, I've got no pain. I'm completely free. The, feet, the pain's gone from my feet. The pain's gone from my knees. And, the, and she kind of like goes back down to where her friends were. And after the service, she, she is one who said, no photos. I don't really, I'm very shy, very embarrassed. I think Phil and I sneakily managed to kind of get one, but it's not a very good photo. Um, but her friends said they didn't recognize her because it's like 10, 15 years worth of pain had fallen off her face. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I wonder how often people not knowing that God absolutely loves them and is mad about them, I wonder how often that's a barrier to us receiving what God wants to do in our lives. And so today I wanted to talk to you kind of about healing, but, but actually really about the love of God. Um, because we often get excited about healing, but really it's just a sign of something bigger. And the bigger thing is that in his love, God has sent Jesus to be the saviour of the world. That he saw each one of us as being worthy of his affection and worthy of the greatest sacrifice that could ever be made, that he would win us back into an eternal relationship with him. 
Because he sent Jesus, the kingdom of God is breaking in. And, the, and healing is a sign of that. Healing is a sign of salvation. It's a sign that the new thing is coming. And it's a promise to us that everything that's wrong will be fixed. And we get to see glimpses of it even now. It says in Acts 10.38 that Jesus went around doing good. Isn't that nice? Jesus went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. So this is very much in a day's work for Jesus. And Mark's gospel very famously begins with Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is at hand and you should repent and believe because this is the good news. This is the gospel, that God's kingdom is breaking in. And I love that thing where it says at hand because what it essentially means is it's, it's there, but you do have to take hold of it. It's present, but you've got to do something to receive it. You've got to use your faith. You've got to change your mind, which is what repent means. And you've got to believe, which means exercise your faith and live in that new reality of God is good, God is here, God is doing stuff. And even when I don't see him, he's working. Even when I don't feel him, he's working. That's what it's all about. That's the kingdom breaking in amongst us today. And Mark then goes on for the next, well, almost the rest of chapter one of Mark's gospel to talk about what happens in an ordinary day of Jesus' life. And it's presented as if this is just one day. And it climaxes in verse 32. So if you've got a Bible, I'm just going to read verse 32 before I come to the passage that we're going to look at today. It says, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. It's this act of overflowing miracle but then the very next verse it says very early in the morning while it was still dark jesus got up and left and the disciples come to him and they say everybody's looking for you and jesus says we've got to go somewhere else and it's one of those things where you think well i mean how could you go somewhere else it's like the power of god is working here everybody is excited everybody now is open to what you want to say everybody you're probably not done yet jesus there are many many more people that need healing and it's as if Jesus is saying, don't focus on the miracles, but focus on the salvation that those miracles represent. Now, that leaves me with a lot of questions. I don't know about you. One of the questions I think that leaves me with is, well, does that mean that healing isn't important? Does that mean we, we shouldn't bother God with the trivial kind of afflictions that we have? Perhaps we should just look to our souls and to eternal life. And the answer to that has to be no. Because in this passage, in this, in this very chapter, he talks about how Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever just so she could get up and make them lunch. I mean, it says that even, even little things can be brought to God. He's such a good father that if it matters to you, it matters to him. You know, when your little children come to you with a boo-boo, you don't go, oh, come on, people have much worse problems than that in the world. No, you know, you, you gather him into your arms because they're in pain. And that's, that's what the Father God is like. If it matters to you, it matters to him. That's what love demands. Now, at the end of this chapter, though, we have a story about somebody whose condition is far from trivial. And I just wanted to read those verses to you this morning. So this is Mark chapter 1 and from verse 40. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. 
Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Go and show yourself to the priest. Instead, the man went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. And yet people still came to him from everywhere. It's such a powerful story because the condition that that is being spoken of here, leprosy, can mean a lot of things in the Bible, but it was a symbol of hopelessness. Uh, The Old Testament had some provisions for how people who had leprosy could be restored back into community if they'd been healed. But there are only two examples of people being healed from leprosy in the whole of the Old Testament. And in both cases, it's it's compared to somebody being brought back from the dead. It was seen as kind of like that extreme, that somebody who had leprosy would be able to be restored. It, It was just exceptional. Most forms of leprosy were physically incurable. All of them were socially isolating. And as a result, they were all seen as representing spiritual condemnation. Um, The thing about leprosy is most illnesses use pain as an early warning system. You know, you get pain, it makes you think, I must be ill. But leprosy does the opposite. It destroys the signal system and leaves the body without its natural defences against accidental harm and self-destruction. So this is a big thing. And this leper comes and, and he has two things. He has desperation about his condition and he seems to have simple faith in Jesus' power. But the big question is, is he willing? Is he willing? And I think that's probably the same for a lot of us. I think there's very few of us who are in the church who believe that God created everything, the heavens and the earth, who believe that what God has done in the Bible. There's very few of us who would say God is not able. But a lot of us wonder if he's actually willing. Does God really want to? When we pray, should we be asking, Lord, is it your will? When we pray and we don't get what we hoped for, do we say, well, maybe God didn't want. Maybe it's not his will. It's a big question, isn't it? So I want to think carefully about this verse. Oops, gone backwards. There we go. Jesus was indignant. It's a really difficult verse to translate, actually. Um, this is the NIV. Um, The NIV translation is perfectly acceptable translation. It's just a really difficult word to translate. Um, A lot of translations that go along this line use, instead of the word indignant, they use the word angry or even incensed. It's like Jesus was offended by the suggestion that he wouldn't want to do this. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? There's another way of translating it, though. The, The other way of translating it, which a lot of other translations have, is Jesus was filled with compassion. Jesus had pity. Jesus was filled with mercy. I like the the Passion Translation, one of the more recent ones, says that being deeply moved with tender compassion. The point is that all all the word actually tells us is that his guts were wrenched. Jesus had gut wrenching emotion when that question was asked. You ever felt that? You ever felt, you know, that's what it is. That's the word. It's about, it's about your, your insides just do a flip because this is wrong. This is not right. So the question is, God is able, but is God willing? 
Is it his will? And the answer is, yes, it is. Jesus says, yes, I am willing. Don't ever think that I'm not. Why don't we always see it? I don't know. You know I told you, I, I got two kids on the autistic spectrum. Prayed for, day in, day out. Like every visiting speaker we can find, lay your hands on our kids, please. Pray for them. I haven't seen it yet. Some people will say, well, well, doesn't God sometimes use illness to draw us deeper into his love and to help us come closer? And the answer is, yeah, of course he does. But he doesn't send it as if somehow it's a good thing to do to us. That wouldn't be loving. Well, some people say, well, does that mean that God's ultimately not in control? You know, if, if some things happen and some things don't, God wants it, but it doesn't happen, does that mean that God isn't in control? And the answer is no. It just means this life isn't all there is. And sometimes we have to wait for what we get. For what we're promised. For what God's love ultimately will give to those who are open for him. The kingdom of God is breaking in. It's not fully here yet in all of its fullness. But unless we try and create a theology to kind of minimize the tension in our experience and miss the main point. The main point is this. Is God willing? The answer is yes, yes he is. Because he loves us. And I started noticing when you read the healing miracles how often it says that Jesus was deeply moved or filled with compassion. And I started seeing that connection between the love of God and the coming of the kingdom. The signs and the wonders because of love. See, Jesus has the power and authority and in this story a single word of command, be clean, sets the leper free. And we could talk about all the sorts of other things that sometimes people talk about this sort of passage, you know, or other passages, you know, Jesus crossing barriers of religion or culture, Jesus touching somebody you shouldn't touch, um, Jesus healing on the Sabbath on the wrong day, uh, Jesus talking to a woman. Uh, but at heart, it's just love, isn't it? It's just love. A life dominated by God's love doesn't calculate whether this is going to look good whether this is going to be acceptable to other people, whether this is going to be difficult, whether it might break some customs. You know, a life dominated by love doesn't kind of go, well, I'll pray for this one because it might work, but I haven't got faith for that. A life dominated by love doesn't, doesn't even kind of think, does this really fit into my theology? You know, I'm not really sure how I kind of deal with the tension between what I think's promised and what I actually see happening. Love just does what needs to be done and Jesus goes where he needs to go. And he pays the price. And there is a price in this. Because so often when we're praying for healing, we discover it's messy. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. Sometimes it's embarrassing to ask. Sometimes it's embarrassing to offer. Sometimes it's embarrassing as we pray or even after we pray. Especially when things don't happen the way we want. You might say, well, it's easier not to raise hopes. It's not going to win people over and start a revival. Jesus was crucified despite all of the miracles. You ever thought about that? You know, I think sometimes, and I, I will confess to this, sometimes I'm kind of like, come on God, do something so that everybody will be talking about you. And then sometimes it's actually my ambition is for the church or even for me. I want to be where the action is. I want to have some good testimonies. You know, I want to be able to go somewhere and say, you know, you know what I saw? It's not love, is it? Jesus is our model. He's the one that we're meant to be following. He's the one that we're meant to be copying. Jesus said, 
anybody who believes in me will do the things that I have been doing. You know, if you want to do the things that Jesus was doing, you've got to do them the way he did them, which is lovingly. Incarnation, this, this Christmas truth that we've just celebrated, is, is the opposite of the antiseptic. It's like you get down in the, in the mucky stuff. You know, you don't keep it like clean. You don't keep yourself apart. You get right into the mess. But there's a great difference between the kingdom of God and what we read about in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, there were all these prescriptions. Because if you touched a leper, you became unclean. In the New Testament, when the kingdom of God comes, when the kingdom of God touches a leper, the leper becomes clean. It's like contagious holiness. It just is completely reversed. We don't have to worry about getting stuck into the mess because now we carry something with the presence and power of God, the kingdom of God in us. We can go into the messy situations and we're going to bring good, not get defiled by them. Isn't that good news? So we can love in the mess. We can love into the difficult places. And, and just ultimately the question is, are we willing to pray the price that love demands? Because there is a cost to this. And in my experience, anybody who has been sustaining a ministry of healing has paid a price. Just as a glimpse of the cost, just have a look about what Jesus embraces to show God's love here. So at the start of the passage, we have the leper who can't enter the village and can't get about his normal life. At the end of the passage, it says, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly and stayed outside in lonely places. That is incarnational ministry. Jesus enters into the situation so much that he kind of figuratively or almost literally he takes the leper's isolation onto himself. From being somebody who's in a village, now he can't go into villages anymore. From being somebody who's in the middle of the crowds, Jesus, because of the vocation he's embraced, because of the calling of God on his life, it now says that he can't go into towns openly. He has to go to lonely places. So that he's not going to be overtaken by crowds, but he's going to be sought out by those who have faith. Isn't that really interesting? I don't know what the cost will be for us. It's easy to pump people up when we talk about healing. You know, you tell your best stories, you kind of airbrush over the difficult ones that didn't quite work. Easy to pump people up, but I know there's a cost to pay. And the people who pay that cost are the ones who persevere because they believe that Jesus did it, and he trained the disciples to do it, and he sent us to do it, and the instructions haven't changed, and he's still with us, and if we do it, we'll see it. You know, the only way to see healing miracles is to pray for lots of people. Not because you're going to see everybody healed, but if you keep faithfully doing it, you'll see some. You keep faithfully doing it, you'll see more. We'll grow in it. But the motivation has to be love. You're not praying for problems, you're praying for people. You're praying for people and, and actually the most important thing is not that people experience God's power. The most important thing is that they experience God's love. And that's what we're all about in New Wine. We, we try to embrace a model of healing where if you want to love people, you pray for God to do great things in their lives. We pray for their healing. If you want to see more people healed, you learn to love them and tap into God's love for them when you pray. And if you don't know how to pray, well, you just embrace a really simple model that says... Whatever happens at the end of this, I want you to feel loved by me and by God. And I love that. It's so simple. Because, you know, the thing that strikes me about all those great stories I told you at the start, 
And I'm kind of embarrassed about this. It's all of those happened in a conference of some sort. I'd love to see them happen in the church. I could actually tell you a few stories of things that God's done in the church. I mean, we've seen more because we're going for more. You know, we had a lovely lady in our church who's just put a testimony on our uh, church's email about how she's had migraines for 50 years and they've been healed. She hasn't had one for months. You know, we had somebody in our church healed from fibromyalgia, which is a crippling condition. Loads of things we haven't seen healed, but we're seeing more. I'd love to see it not just in the conferences, but in the church, in the local. But actually, what I really want to see is on the streets. I want to see it in the ordinary every day. I want to see it with people who don't know God yet and need to know that he loves them. So we need a model that's so simple that it communicates love and you can do it quickly with people who don't understand and haven't got time to sit through a seminar. Amen? Amen. So should I have a go? Great. Well, would you like to stand? We've got some good time for ministry this morning. Um, So what I'd like to do today is I would love us to pray for each other for some healing. Not because we want to see miracles, but because we want to see what it feels like to know the love of God in a way that we've never known before. That's what it's all about. So let's just ask the Spirit to come for a moment, that we can be aware of that. And I, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, thank you that you are present as we gather in the name of Jesus. Spirit of God, fall in this place. Reveal to us the love of the Father. I pray that every single person here today would know the love of God. Perhaps you're reasonably new to all this. Just know that when you come to Jesus, his response is, I am willing. I'm willing. God loves you. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.